Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, February 26, 2018, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 30. We will be reading and commenting on the fourth paragraph, which we begins with, We Are Like Men, and ends on page 31 with, But It Hasn't Done So Yet. Today's readers are Jen Z, Nancy H, Marie J, Gina R, and Craig F. Our newcomer greeter is Kathy G. The reference number for yesterday's Sunday, February 25th, 2018's special edition meeting is 11091. That's 11091. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating, compulsive eating, it says here, and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jen Z to read the 12 steps of OA. Hi, this is Jen Z from Kentucky. 12 steps. Uh, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became unwilling to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge for his for knowledge of his will and for us and 
uh, I'm sorry, for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me serve. Thank you for serving, Gen Z. I will now ask Nancy H. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, Rebecca and fellow travelers. My name is Nancy H. I'm from Massachusetts, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me serve. Thank you for serving, Nancy H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in chapter three, more about alcoholism on page 30. We will be reading and commenting on the fourth paragraph, which begins with, we are like men, and ends on page 31 with, but it hasn't done so yet. I will now ask Marie J. to go ahead and read that for us. Thanks. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Marie J. Thank you. 
Good morning. Thanks. This is Marie J. and I am gratefully recovered in Colorado. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Um, no such thing as making a normal eater out of me. And for me, this is all about acceptance of what is. I don't have to like it, and I don't have to agree, but it doesn't do me any good to fight it. I try to convince myself that it can be different and that I can be normal, but I have to accept that this is what is for me. I will never behave as a normal person around food. And this disease is always going to be part of who I am. And I only have one chance to be recovered and only one day at a time. Every day I, I ask, you know, there's a solution. There's a solution. And when I can get to the acceptance of my condition, then I can get to surrender. I can surrender to this power that is greater than me, that keeps me out of food and that keeps me spiritually fit, one day at a time. And we're always saying it's simple, but it's not easy. There's only one truth. You know, God either is everything or God is nothing. And I have to either give my life to this God or this higher power, or I'm going to suffer the consequences of this terrible addiction. And I face that choice every day. I get up and every day I decide. I get to choose who's going to be in charge. And sometimes I choose me. And the consequences are painful. But every time, every single time, I choose higher power. The consequences of that choice are happiness, joy, and freedom. Consequences of choosing myself are pain. You know, I get to have freedom from the bondage of myself and from my character defects. I get to get rid of my self-righteousness. I get to have my fear removed from me. You know, why wouldn't I want this? I wouldn't want this because my ego and my disease are very powerful liars, convincers. And I get attached to these lies. I want to believe it's the truth. I want to believe I can be normal around food. And I have to work every day diligently telling myself the truth and accepting what is and then surrendering. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm recovered today only. And I accept that this is my lot in life every single day. I get to get up and give my will to the God of my understanding and how, ask how I can be useful and how I can serve. And every day, multiple times a day, I joyfully, and I emphasize that, I joyfully say thy will not mine be done. Because when God's in charge, my consequences of my life are happiness, joy, and freedom. God wants this for me. So I joyfully submit. I accept my lot in life, and I joyfully submit. I surrender to the God of my understanding. Thank you. Thank you, Marie J. Who would like to comment on this last paragraph on page 30 that Marie J. just read? Matt M. Nancy H. Matt M. I heard Matt M. and I heard this Nancy Larry K. H. And I heard Larry K. Garrison. Lauren Garrison. N. 
Lauren N. Okay, why don't we go with the five of you, Matt M., Nancy K., Larry K., Garrison, and Lauren N. Matt M., go right ahead. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. from Pulsive Over Eater. We let men who have lost their legs and never grow new ones. For me, I've always known I was a compulsive overeater, even though I didn't know what to call it when I was a young age. You know, I never had a relationship with food that was normal. You know, everybody else would take one or two cookies. I have to eat the eat, eat the rest of them. And when I saw somebody eating at dinner, when they when they when they even finished the whole meal, they took one or two bites and they pushed it away for themselves. I figured, I said, why don't they finish their food? What's wrong with them? I always finish my meals. Like there was a girl in my pro, my class my program class. Um, Last week, she brought food with her, and she took, like, two or three bites, and she put it away for later, and she finished it later. I'm like, God, that's not me. I would have had to finish it right then and there because I had that compulsion that I have to eat everything in the room. And I realized for me that um, I judge people. It's funny. It's so funny. I judge people when they don't finish their meal. I'm like, what's wrong with them? How come they don't finish it? Are they just not – if they have an issue with food? And I'm the one with the issue with the food, and – um it's amazing how even when I make a list to go to the grocery store, I still think I want to add things like cookies or chips or dip or something like that. And it's, like, amazing how I'm like, I need that food. And, like, and that's my brain convincing me that I need these foods or I'm not going to survive. And it's it's crazy. And I don't, I know those foods will harm me, and but still I want them. That's the kind of that's the kind of thing that goes through the line of a compulsive overeater, you know. Like, I need these foods to survive, and that's not true. I need to eat to live, not live to eat. And that's, that's what my, uh, my new motto is for myself. And uh, I need to get off the food because the food is not going to make me feel any better. It'll make you feel better for like about six seconds. And then after, that, after I, um, I come down off that high, I'm going to be miserable. And then I'm not going to want to do anything. I want to isolate and stay away from people because I feel guilty and I feel remorse after doing it. So I'm grateful just today. I don't have to give in to that compulsion. I can, but then I'll know what I'll be afterwards. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. Nancy K. Um, this is Nancy H. from Massachusetts. H. Great, I'm grateful, sorry. compulsive overeater recovered for today. Um, this paragraph really made an impression on me the first time I read it. It was like, oh, if that means they never grow, of course they never grow new legs. That'd be ridiculous to think about. So why is it that I can't eat like a normal eater? Well, that's because I'm never going to regain control again. So that really made me um, think before I ate for a long time. And then after 17 years of not having sugar, even though I wasn't always abstinent, um, I picked up sugar and I was completely shocked that I, it says here, followed by periods of uh, worse relapse. And I never could imagine that I could eat as much as I could eat this time. And this was four months ago. I'm grateful that I'm not there right now. I remember four months ago being so miserable and having a psychiatrist say to me, do you want to live or do you want to die? And I thought, well, let's not get dramatic. And then I thought about it and I said, yes, this disease is killing me. My spirit dies more than my my physical body. Um, So this disease tells me that I'm going to grow new legs someday. I'm going to be able to regain control if I just only try hard enough. And because of that, I've tried more than once. <laughs> and it's so much easier after, you pick up, after I picked up the first bite to just say, well, you know, it hasn't been, I don't have that long period of abstinence anymore, so maybe I'll just have this and it'll be okay. But I'm becoming um, very aware of this disease talking to me 
and I talk back to it because I don't want it to kill me. I will never be a normal eater. Um, I will never be able to just go out and, and not plan ahead of time. Um, for me, it, I'm safer if I plan ahead, just knowing even if I make a call ahead to see if I could get something special, um, I feel as though now I'm worth that. And before I thought, well, people are going to laugh at me. People are going to think I'm odd. And some of my friends think I'm an oddball because I don't eat, I don't drink. You know, uh, it's just they think I'm a holier than thou, but that's not the case. I'm saving my life by doing this. So I'm very grateful and I'm, I'm glad I was able to share. Thanks. Pass. Thanks, Nancy H. Larry K. Hi, Rebecca. Good morning. Um, thanks for your service. Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, it says there's no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. You know, this was published some 80 years ago. <clears throat> Not much has changed, although science sure is, is trying to find the silver, silver, silver bullet. And it, you know, whether it's a pill, a new diet, a supplement or something, you know, and, and unless I think there's a convergence between the scientific realm in the spiritual realm, the, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a difficult time getting, getting there. Here's something that I read recently. It comes from, you know, the Stanford Prevention Research Center, and it was entitled, you know, what are the health benefits of a calorie-restricted diet? Yeah, I'm not going to go on from there, but, but this is the point. Science is still trying to find a, a physical way, some way that will give us, you know, some type of relief here and and there isn't relief coming see this is what we're up against and it's one of the reasons why any notion of a spiritual solution continues to be you know summarily rejected by the scientific community and here we are in 2018 because no different than in the 1940s the scientific community believes you can't measure quantify and see the spiritual solution from a perceptive prism of, of, you know, of a scientific method, a scientific template, and guess what? So it doesn't exist. You know, so our best scientific thinkers, what they have for folks like you and me is more pills and more diets and more exercise programs. And I'm not knocking any of those. Those work. They all work if you're normal. I'm not normal. So, you know, for me, Thank God for a practical program of spiritual action through these steps. You know, we've transcended some of the darkest and most, you know, difficult experiences without a pill, without a therapeutic technique, without a diet. That's a miracle. That's nothing short of a miracle. This program works if you work it, if you're willing to work it. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. Garrison, and the first initial, please. Yes, it's Garrison M., and I'm in Maryland, and um, I'm a uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Glad to be here this morning. Um, yeah, this paragraph really jumped out at me because, um, I, you know, I have this new attitude now that's different um, than other times in recovery um, or in um you know, brief periods of recovery um, that I've had in the past um, that were, of course, always followed by still worse relapse. Um, 
and I'm glad to ha- to know that you know that's that having that knowledge that it there always comes another relapse um this this uh sort of newfound understanding that I have about um staying stopped you know about um the mental obsession um and how it always comes back to me like I'll always I've always thought like okay, yeah, like I'm abstinent or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to recover from food obsession or, or, you know, I'm eating, I'm trying, I'm trying to eat on a food plan now. Um, and then, you know, sometime I'm going to be able to eat something else and I'm going to be able to like work something back into my food plan or, um, you know, I'm going to be able to go back to the food in some way. And now I feel like, um, I want to do everything I can, you know, every imaginal remedy. Like now it's like I have this, I have this approach, which is working the steps every day, um, you know, to my, to the fullest, like as much as I can and trying to improve my conscious contact with my higher power. Um, you know, that, um, that has like replaced all those other ideas, those other, like the idea that like I'm going to find some other food plan or something like that. And in fact, like when I have like little, you know, like I'm working with a nutritionist and, you know, she said like, I think you could have this. And, and I was like, yeah, like I can have um, that um, certain kind of protein. Like, I think it's not, I think it's actually not great for me this this certain kind of protein and like I don't know I think I was right like I think it's more of a fat than a protein <laughs> um and um you know I I want to be freer like I don't want to be um yeah I, I mean now my thing is like I want to I want my food as clean as it can be so I can be um that I can be stay recovered, be recovered, and um, and help others, and um, that's that's like a, just a much better feeling. Like it feels like I'm not waiting for the next relapse. Like I'm wait, I'm trying to see like how I can improve my recovery every day. So um, so with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsten M. Lauren N. Good morning, all. This is Lauren N. from New York. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you all for being here and reminding me every day that I am a person that will not be able to grow my legs back. Sometimes there's a part of me that wants to believe I can grow my legs back and I can try this bit or I can do that little bit or I can have, I can tempt myself. And it is with gratitude today that I remember I cannot and I will not and it is not healthy for me. Not only healthy, it's like, it's not that angry man, man, mean voice inside my head that says, you can't have one. It's really a loving voice that, and that must be God, that says to me, you know, what happens if you have one? 
I was at a party yesterday, a birthday party for a friend of mine. And at the end, they brought out one of those sheet things that, um, and they cut it up and they gave pieces out. And there was someone sitting next to me. And I said, no, thank you. I don't want any. And someone sat next to me. And she took like four bites of it and left it. And I was like, what? I don't understand that. And I turned to her and I said, if it was me, I would have eaten that whole thing up and wanted more. And then gone outside and had more afterwards because I don't eat often in front of people. And she said, yeah, but I don't like the taste of it. I was like, ha, there's, there's a decision about the taste. Once that substance, that sugary, sweet substance is in my mouth, I don't have any choices anymore. But thank God today I know that I have a choice. And that choice keeps me free. Thank you all for being here. Have a great day. I'll pass. Thanks, Lauren Ann. We read the last paragraph on page 30, beginning with, We Are Like Men. Who would like to share on that paragraph? Mary G. Nessa R. Liz. I heard Nessa Mary R. G. Somebody Gina R. Was it Nessa or someone else? Gina R. Nessa R. There might have been another R. And then I heard Liz. And Sima I, M. I missed some people, but I did hear Sima. And Craig Gina S. R. And Gina R. Okay. So here's who I wrote down. Listen and see if I missed your name. Mary G. Nessa R, Liz, Sima M, Craig F, and Gina R. Did I miss you? No? Okay. Mary G, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. This is Mary G, recovered in Rochester, New York. And it's the line, um, in some instances, there has been brief recovery followed by all followed always by a still worse relapse that jumps out at me this morning because this really signals to me the beginning of the death throes. He's, you know, I think of Bill's story and how he talks so beautifully about just descending deeper and deeper into this place of no return where he couldn't stop, and that's exactly how it was for me with each relapse I emerged sicker and sicker, and each time I picked up again, I was doing things that I never wanted to do with food, and I was eating things I didn't even want to eat. I was standing in the aisles in the store, walking up and down the aisles, just randomly picking up things I didn't even want to eat. I was throwing things out the car window as I was driving down the street, saying, I'm never going to eat this again, only to drive to the store and buy more of the same thing. Um, And that horrible progression was doomed to go nowhere but to the very end for me if it hadn't been for the intervention of a loving God. And the steadfastness of a sponsor and the profound inspiration 
that I hear every day on this line. There's another place in the book, and I can't remember where, but um, it talks about the, you know, a, a being approached by someone in whom the problem has been solved combined with the knowledge that I'm not a normal eater. And my sponsor said, you know, that is, those are the conditions for surrender. And that's been the case for me, too, you know, hearing so many people who model for me that there is another way combined with my final real willingness to accept, as someone said, that I will never grow new legs, that the way I was living with food was never going to get any better, only worse, brought me to my knees. And I'm so grateful for that for that moment and for the opportunity to be recovered and serve and be a vital part of life again. So thanks for listening. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Mary G. Nessa R. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. What this reading of today tells me is that, you know, no matter how recovered I am, no matter how many years or decades of abstinence, no matter how long I have not had sugar and flour, I am not cured. I am not cured. And something that I have learned in program is that when something works, you have to keep doing it because if you keep, if you stop working it, it stops working. Um, there's, um, I know maybe six women, six women that I can think of in my, in my social circle who came into, uh, into program. Um, and, you know, they were doing well. I mean, at least physically, they lost a lot of weight and um, they seem to be thriving in program. And then one by one, for whatever reasons, I don't really know what the reasons were, they started going out. And of course, the weight started piling back on. And now all of them, without exception, are now heavier than they were um, when they started this journey. And I know that that would be the case for me without a doubt if I went out. I know for a fact, I know for a fact that I have another binge in me. But what I don't know is that I have another recovery in me. And you know that that cliche that we hear in the room, you know, that it's easier to keep it than to get it back. It's, it's so true, you know, because I've seen not, not all of these, these, these ladies, but um, a couple of them. You know, try, trying again, you know, the food plan that got them thin, you know, but I, I don't think they get it. It's not the food plan. It's the program. And, you know, otherwise the food plan is just another diet. And I know for me, diets never work. They took the weight off, but they never kept it off. Um, so I have to keep doing what I've been doing for the past six in a bit um, years in order to keep what I have. And not only have to keep doing that, you know, I have to keep doing it with enthusiasm and more vigor because now I have a responsibility to pass the message on. It's not only my working steps one through 11, now I have to try to carry the message. So um, I have to keep doing what works. And as long as I keep working it, it will keep working. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Nessa R. Liz, is it Liz S.? It's Liz S., recovered, uh, overcome, recovered compulsive overeater from New Hampshire. Um, 
I, uh, I picked up at one point after a long period of abstinence and I did things with food that I'd never done before. And it was horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And there was someone I knew in OA at the time who um, used to say, uh, run, run the videotape. And what she meant by that was, uh, uh, you know, look at what's happened to you with food in your past. And, uh, you know, what, what I, I remember that period of time and uh, I can't even believe the things and the lengths that I went to get food that I hadn't even done when I was binging. And today what I think about is that uh, I could go out and think, oh, I'll be fine tomorrow or I may not come back. And the other thing I think about is I really value very much my relationship with, uh, with God well, I choose to call my higher power. And if I pick up one of my allergic foods, I've chosen that over that relationship. I've put that food over that relationship. And uh, that's very important to me to keep that connection with God open. But if I pick up, that connection is broken. So every day um, I have to do, I remember steps 10, 11, and 12, I have to be vigilant on all three. And I have to remind myself that there's no guarantee at all if I put an allergic substance in my mouth that I'm going to be okay. Absolutely none. And uh, Dr. Silkworth is clear on that, uh, very clear. It's clear in Bill's story. Um, I may never come back. I may be gone. I'm, you know, I could you know, be gone for uh, a day. I could be gone for five years. So I don't take that chance. I can't take that chance a day at a time. It's, I value my life more now than I ever have. Uh, I've been in OA for 25 years, and it's taken a long time to get here. So when I read this paragraph, I'm reminded of that year in New York when I did, did things that I'm still ashamed of, and uh, I don't want to do them again. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Liz S. Sima M. Good morning. This is Sima M. Good morning. Can I be? Hi. Um, I'm in. I'm usually in uh, New Jersey Eastern Time, and this morning I'm in California, so I know what it's like for all of you that get up at four in the morning. Uh, I'm a grateful, compulsive overreader living in recovery. Uh, what this paragraph says, we never grow new legs. Um, I never had legs that worked when it came to food. So um, growing new ones isn't going to help me. However, uh, the only thing that helps me is the spiritual recovery that gives me the release from wanting to compulsively overeat. So I don't want new legs. I want to want to not eat because I'm very willful. So when the desire comes back, I can't hold on for very long. I have to work this program, all 12 steps, in order to keep the peace of mind and the uh, by giving it away, by listening, by sharing, by growing, and um, I don't need new legs. 
I have new legs. That's my higher power and the steps of this program and fellowship. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Simma M. Craig F. Did you call for Craig? I was on meeting. I did, Craig. Okay, great. Hi, this is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I, when I read this, I, I was thinking that uh, about hope and about how hope is such a, a natural part of our uh, psyche. You know that uh, uh, Dante said that the gates of uh, hell had a sign on them that said, "Abandon hope, all ye that enter here." You know that that without hope that we're in hell. And uh, my dad, about a week before he passed away from cancer. We tried to sit down with him and talk to him about things like DNRs and and uh, you know what do you want to how far do you want to take this what do you want to do and he got angry and says you're taking away all my hope I'm going to beat this but, you know it was obvious to us he wasn't but he had hope you know and the, and he was holding on to that hope and and I think before we get the program we hold on to hope, you know, we we hold on to any hope we can hold on to. And, you know, I, I, I hoped I could become a, a normal leader. Uh, that that was hope. At least it was something to hold on to. And, you know, the problem, of course, is that it's a false hope. Um, you know, this paragraph makes it clear in our lives, make it clear our stories, make it clear that uh, uh, we're not going to become normal leaders. I I, I had I had to give up that hope, but in order to give up that hope, I had to have a new hope, you know. And and the new hope is that uh, that I can be in recovery, that I can recover, that that I can, uh, if I follow a few simple rules, that I I I can live a, a normal life, that I can be of service to God and others, and that I don't have to stay in that hopeless state of despair and uh, I don't have to stay uh, in that uh, body that uh, uh, I didn't like. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful today for the hope that this program brings me and, and, and the, and the uh, chance to offer that hope to, uh, to others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Craig S. Gina R. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This is Gina R., gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, living in Green Valley, Arizona. I'm um, drawn to that. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. And I can remember um, reading that before I was recovered and um, in another fellowship and not really having a click. But when I became active in doing the program, especially through um, this particular meeting, I heard somebody talk about, um, well, they the men aren't, aren't going to grow new ones, but that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. There is something that can be done. And there's, you know, devices called prosthetics. And she used that analogy or metaphor to talk about um, having to put on her prosthetic every day 
and there are some kinds of prosthetics for um, the body that are permanent or um, where the, the user has to put them on every day. And that's what is going on here. I used to think that I could just read about the solution, understand it, comprehend it, and that would be enough. And that is not enough. So I have to strap on this book, the, the information that's in this book, to my head, to my heart, every day. I've got to let it seep in, and then I've got to let it pour out. And I have to do that every day if I want to, quote, unquote, walk. And when I do that, when I make that decision, and, and I see that as part of um, step three, that made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, that's what I'm doing every day is my will is with no legs. I cannot do it. I cannot walk on my own. I've got to have this additional help um, that lets me do it. And um, as far as looking um, abnormal, um, I'm okay with that now. You know, being in places where, you know, people are eating and drinking normally and I have to uh, um, speak my truth and um, simply say no or if they inquire further and want to know why I do what I do, I'm okay with that, and I'm really glad to read this again this morning. It's just basically somebody seeing me with an artificial leg, um, and I don't think that um, we we hold that in um, um, a low regard or anything anymore. I, I don't feel less than because I have to put on this prosthetic. I'm so okay. glad it's available. With that, I pass. Thanks, Gina R., uh, just in case you got on late, we read the last paragraph on page 30, We Are Like Men, one paragraph. Who else would like to share on that paragraph? Mary B. Mary B. Lindsay R. Was it Lindsay R.? M. Lindsay I, I'm not hearing clearly. Someone R. I would say Mindy, like Cindy. Mindy, Mindy. I have it now. Mindy R. Roz R. And Roz R. Maybe one more? Uh, Frida A. Is it Frida? Yes, Frida A. Frida A. Okay, let's go yes. with the four of you. We'll see how that goes. Mary B, Mindy R, Roz R, and Frida A. Mary B, go right ahead. Good morning. Can I be heard? You can, but I'd already muted. Sorry, Mary. Go oh, ahead. That's fine. Thank you. This is Mary B, gratefully recovered in Central California. Let me tell you about my mother. My mother was a compulsive gambler, and uh, people from Southern California will be familiar with the town of Gardena, which is famous for its poker parlors. And my mother used to go there and uh, for 24 hours, drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, and stay there until she ran out of money and come home. A lot of sitting 
the doctors, her doctors started to warn her that she needed to walk. And when her legs really started to bother her, she tried, but it was too late. And my mother had a leg amputated. She did not, she was not diabetic. And I used to look at my mother and wonder, because I knew this part of the big book, if what she would give to go back and heed the doctor's warnings much earlier. And I I would ask that question so many times when I would look at my mother. And I wrote in the column of my book, I want to recover before I lose my legs. I know what this paragraph means. And I am so grateful. I'm 80 years old. I have my legs. Every time I walk, I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I have this gift of recovery today, and I treasure it. Thank you for the opportunity to share. I pass. Thank you, Mary B. Mindy R. Hi, I'm Mindy, and I'm coming from outside of Philadelphia, and um, I'm a recovering suit addict. Thank you, everyone, for your shares. And I just wanted to say that when I first read this, um, it was kind of like in a teaching session with, uh, basically it was in a rehab session for eating disorders. And we were talking about when they got to that paragraph or when he was talking about, we are like men and women who have lost our legs, like the three-legged stool. You cannot stand on it or sit on it without having the three legs and um he demonstrated with with and without it and he's like why do i keep falling why do i keep falling and it hit me and it like it's it's like one of those aha moments and that's what happens to me in the program i get these aha moments and um with that said uh last week i did a i've been doing a step 11 with a, a group of oa people meditation and I and I'll be honest, I haven't been doing my step eleven because I have trouble with a higher power greater than myself. Um, I could relate to the to the gentleman who talked about his father being given a DNR. Well, when your sixteen, seventeen year old daughter is given a DNR because she's cancer and dying, doesn't want to die, wants to live. What child wants to die? What teenager wants to die? She had hope. We had it written all over her room, hope, and and what the definition of hope meant, and um, never giving up, never ever giving up. I mean, it was wrapped around her room for three years. And um, we thought, you know, and I thought when my daughter did die, I thought, what does this mean, you know? And a lot of people refer to having our food addiction, as myself I did too, um, as cancer. And it is like a cancer. It just eats away and eats away and eats away. But the disease of cancer really eats away. And when it's your child and you watch this, and being a food addict and an addict and in other programs, it's very, very, it's, it, it killed me. I died the day she died. So now I'm coming back and I'm struggling with the higher power. But I do believe there's a power greater than myself. 
I was atheist. I mean, I came in the program as agnostic. I became a believer. I became atheist when she died. Now I'm at, back to agnostic. I think that's really big growth. I go to almost seven meetings a week, and I listen every day, sometimes twice a day, to, to the vision. I reached out for a vision for you, sponsor, and um, and I told my story, and I got some really kind of condescending, nasty feedback. I took it that way. But then I got phone calls from people that are walking in my shoes because that's what I ask for help, for people that walk in my shoes. And um, so we're all different. And, yes, I know we all have problems. I heard a man speak last Sunday. Um, I was crying the whole time. What a horrible life he led. What a horrible life it was for him. It just, I cried. But you know what? Everyone has their stuff. I get it. I know it. I've been around for, I'm celebrating 31 years next week in program. I'm not a newcomer. Um, I have six months back. That is a miracle. I know I lost my daughter. I know I have a shit life because of that. But I have this program, and I have the 12 steps, and I have a higher power greater than myself that will restore me to sanity, and it takes what it takes. And I don't need to be beaten up. By it. I don't need to be attacked by other people because that's really mean. That's really, really mean. And I was just asking for help. So I lost my legs. I don't want to, I'm, I'm, I'm standing. I'm here every day. I'm abstinent. I'm sugar flour. I am so, I, I just got on a scale today. I did my weigh in. I lost 30 pounds since my daughter died. Who does that? Like all the mothers I know that lost their daughter, they're Damn all eating their faces off. So I, I'll just finish in saying I am grateful for T. I'm grateful for everybody who shares. And just remember, there are sensitive people out there. I'm sensitive to them too, as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mindy R. Roz R. Hi. Can I be heard? Yes, Roz. Good morning. Good morning. This is Roz R. Um, in Florida, recovered and grateful. Um, yeah, I haven't shared in a long time. Um, I, I just really, I, I can so relate to this. Um, I have I have been in the rooms of OA, it's going to be 36 years in May, and I just had I've I've just had such a difficult time um, believing that God had anything to do with my recovery with food or change I just I seem to I I seem to have always had to do it like with diets mentality you know with what I learned in the rooms and um, since my exposure to people in vision and working with vision sponsors and listening in on the meetings um, what I've what I've come to really believe is that God is working for me even when I'm off and running in my head somewhere even when I'm struggling, you know, it's, it, it, and I had some problems um, not long ago with, with the night eating, um, with the cravings, uh, well, not really the cravings, but just um, the, not even being hungry, but the emotions and wanting to shut them down, you know, with eating extra at night. But um, the desperation of the emotional um, relapse that can take place is so devastating to me because when I'm in an emotional relapse, um, when I'm not working the program and when I'm not trusting God and listening to God and talking to people and doing my 10, 11, and 12, 
my thinking can be so distorted and it starts with the thinking. It doesn't start with, you know, with the food. It starts with the thoughts. It starts with that buildup of, of emotions. And um, I, I am just, you know, I, I'm a, deathly afraid of ever going back out there into the food like I used to where it was 24-7 nonstop. Um, but the desperation, you know, was inside and the, the fear and, and the way I wasn't dealing with life on life's terms. And the fact that, you know, I stopped doing formalized prayer, but I was, I was asking. And, and what I found was that God hears me no matter how I pray, no matter what's in my heart. I have found that, that there is a higher power that, has, that is there because I have been able to step out of my fear, my anxiety, um, and do things that I would not, I, I just, I don't know how it happens. It just happens. It's like, I do believe, and it's taken me a long time to have that connection, that inner connection with a power greater than myself to bring me into, you know, into a recovery that's, it, it's work. It's a lot of work to be in recovery, but it's a lot of work to be in relapse and even emotional relapse um, is, is to me is scary, sometimes scarier, but um, I see my time is up, but I just wanted to um, mm. express my gratitude for this meeting and for the recovered people that shared for the friends that I talked to and support me. And thank you with that. I passed. Thank you, Razar. Frida A., you will be the last person to share. Hi, and I'm recovering uh, compulsive overeater. Uh, I thank everybody for uh, the meeting. I'm new in OA Vision. The big book says that uh, I need to be rigorously honest in order to recover. Thank God I don't remember what, but uh, something uh, that was said triggered uh, my deep down feelings and emotions, and which I do not want to overeat. And thank God I haven't. Um, I haven't compulsively, uh, compulsively, compulsively overeaten for the last three months. A bit of messy, maybe, and uh, overeating. But for me, uh, overeating over my emotions. But for me, uh, overeating uh, over my emotions and compulsive overeater are two different things. And I was just uh, googling them anyway. Uh, but for me, this program, I. Um, for me, uh, it was always my dream to be able to uh, work the OA program because it's a lot easier to work with flex. It's a lot more difficult to work with flexibility than with uh, rigidity. And uh, the first time that I went to an OA meeting in Canada, the plant was seeded about what compulsive overeating can be over just a fruit, for example. And um, and uh, I went to the best uh, and biggest OA meeting uh, once, and I was not in OA. My sponsor exposed me to that meeting, and I can never forget. It was the most spiritual experience that I had, one of the most spiritual experiences that I had in my life and in all the OA meetings, in any meeting that I've been. And uh, what I saw, I can never forget. I saw uh, a thin woman going and sharing there. And I saw a probably 300-pound uh, young lady that uh, went and shared there. And uh, 
I can never, I can't even remember, I can't even uh, forget the way they were dressed, the colors and everything. And really, what is the purpose of life? Uh, the purpose of life is to be happy. And in our, uh, in our 12-step program, joyous and free, or maybe outside too. And uh, the thin lady was quite spiritual. And the overweight lady was as happy, as joyous, and as free as one could be. And I never, ever, ever comprehended the word fat serenity. It was total humiliation to me, to anybody, an, an insult to anybody who has uh, this, type of, this type of body. And I have Hi. seen other overweight people. Anyway, thank you very much for letting me share. This program is about a disease of different variety, different levels, thank God, different food program, and it's all about hope. And uh, every uh, single word in the big book is about our disease, different variety, and it's about solution, and it's about cure, about this disease. And 12 step. It's full of paradox, and uh, so is the big book. And uh, no blasphemy as much as I love the big book. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Frida A. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The reference number for this meeting, Monday, February 26, 2018, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 11.097. That's 11.097. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Gina R. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.